My name is Rick Renner, and this is the Church of the Virgin Mary in the lower part of Ephesus, very near to the ancient harbor. It's very important that it's called the Church of the Virgin Mary. I'll explain why in just a moment. This was not a church building which dated to the first century. There were no church buildings in the first century. This is from the fourth century, and that's very important. But let's begin by talking about why it was the Church of the Virgin Mary. Mary lived in Ephesus and she was a member of this church. That may surprise you, but if you would remember when Jesus was dying, hanging on the cross, he looked down at his mother and then he looked at John. And Jesus said to John, behold your mother. And he committed the care of Mary into the hands of John. And from that time forward, John took Mary everywhere he went. So when John relocated from Israel to Asia, he brought Mary and Mary moved to Ephesus with John and she became a member of the church. And the reason this particular church facility was built on this location is because scholars believe that when they disembarked from their ship not too far from here, they were brought to this location for their papers to be processed when they moved to the city of Ephesus. So later on the church father said, let's build a church on that location. This was built in the fourth century. And here's why that's important. In Revelation chapter two, verse four and verse five, Christ confronted the church of Ephesus because he said they were losing their first love. They were losing their excitement. They had lost their fervency that once burned so brightly in their heart. And Christ commanded them to repent. When we get saved, we have to repent. And through life, when God deals with us, it requires that we repent. And the church of Ephesus heard the command of Christ to repent and they repented. They were revived. Once again, the power of God operated through them and they operated successfully, powerfully for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's why it's significant that this building dates to the fourth century, which tells us repentance was so effective in Ephesus that the church continued powerfully for centuries. That's the power of repentance. And that's what I'm gonna talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Well, I've been waiting for you, and today we're going to be studying the subject of repentance, and we're going to be seeing what it is, what it isn't, and how to do it. It's amazing to me but there's a lot of confusion today about the word repent. There are some people who even say Christians don't need to repent. Really? Does the Bible say that? What does the Bible say about repentance? What is it? What is it not? And how do you do it? We need to know what the Bible says. That's what I'm going to be dealing with today. But first, I want to remind you that I'm offering you my series based on these programs called Christ's message to Ephesus. It's a 10-part series which comes in many different formats. It has all the Greek words and definitions, everything that you've seen in these programs with a study guide that you can work through with me. You can use it personally or with a friend. It would be great for any Bible study group. I want to encourage you to order it. And we're also offering you my monumental book called A Light in Darkness. You know how much this book weighs? Five pounds, three ounces. It is a heavy book. If you don't read it, you can lift weights with it. Recently, somebody said to me, you know, Rick, I don't read that book by the page. I read it by the ounce. I found that very funny. But really, it's five pounds of revelation. 
It is amazing. When you get this book in the mail, I think your mouth is going to drop open. It is just filled with photos, charts, graphs, teaching, information, revelation, history, and every single page is full color. It is really a feast for the eyes. You will love this. Your kids will love this. Your grandchildren will love this. It's a book that you can put on your coffee table. People will flip through its pages and say, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. It's just loaded with all kinds of wonderful insights that will make the teaching of the New Testament come alive for you. Order it today. But today we're going to jump right back to Revelation chapter 2 where Christ is speaking to the church of Ephesus. And today we're going to begin in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Jesus says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. We completely covered verse 1. We took it apart word by word. If you missed that teaching, go to the archives. It's very powerful, especially where I teach about the church being a golden candlestick. Wow, that is amazing teaching. Then in verse 2, Christ says, I know thy works. We've seen that this word know is the Greek word oida. It's taken from a Greek root, which means to see or to behold, to know something from personal observation. So Jesus now is going to describe what he has seen because he was walking among them. He's going to give a report. And here's his report. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And you've tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. If you didn't hear that teaching, go back to the archives. You need to hear what I've taught on that verse. It is powerful. You're going to discover this was an awesome church. Ephesus was a hardworking church, a church filled with endurance, very committed to doctrinal purity and doctrinal integrity. They really took seriously their responsibility, which they had received from heaven. And in this verse, Jesus commends them and commends them and commends them. And then in verse 3, he continues to commend them. He says, and hasborn. The Greek actually says, and you have continually been responsible and has patience. The Greek says, you've continually been patient. The Greek word hupomene, which means to be under a heavy load, but you've refused to bend, to break, or to surrender. This was a church that just would not surrender any territory that they had gained. He says, and you've done it for my name's sake. They did it for the right reasons. He says, you've labored and you have not fainted. That word fainted tells us how much work they were doing because a person who would faint, taken from this Greek word kopiao, means to give up and to give out. They're so exhausted they just can't do anymore. But in this particular case, the church of Ephesus was so committed they wouldn't give up, they wouldn't give out, they just continued. This is a great church. But yet when you come to verse 4, Jesus has one strike against them. And listen to what he says. Nevertheless, in Greek, it is the word Allah. It's a break with the text. It's almost now like Jesus lifts his voice to say something different from what he has been saying. You could translate it, in spite of all the wonderful things that I've said about you. Now let me get to the next issue. In spite of all these things, I have somewhat against thee. The word against, the Greek word kata, which describes a downward mark, or Jesus says, I have one strike against you because you have left your first love. We've seen that the Greek states it a little different. The Greek says, because your love, the first one, 
you have left it. Jesus is reminding them of what they were like when they first repented. When they came to Christ, they fell hard for Christ. They were in love with Christ. They were in love with the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the church, the work of the ministry. They were just in love. They fell hard when they came to Christ. And if you read Acts chapter 19, you can read about the wonderful things that happened when they first came to Christ. It was quite a thrill. They spiritually were like an inferno. They were burning with the power of God. But now when we come to Revelation chapter 2, we find they're still doing the work of ministry. They're very involved in the machinery of ministry. They're doing, 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 doing. But in the midst of doing everything, they've left that early experience when they had the wonder of it all burning in their heart, they've left it. This word left is a Greek word, aphiemi. It does not mean to abandon. They didn't walk away from their first love. They didn't abandon it. But this word aphiemi means to release something, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Over a period of time, they just became so involved in the routine of church and the routine of ministry that now they were just trafficking in holy things. It had become commonplace to them, and what once was so special and so brilliant and so new in their life, now was just commonplace. This is something we all have to guard against. The church of Ephesus, a great church, had lost the wonder of it all, and they had been reduced to a monotonous, boring routine of ministry. Jesus said, in the midst of all you're doing, Somehow, you've let that early wonder of it all slip from your fingers and you've lost it. That's what verse 4 really means. Then beginning in verse 5, Jesus tells them what they need to do. Listen to what he says. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Twice in this verse, Jesus tells them to repent. But first, he tells them to remember. The word remember is the Greek word menea, and I'm going to read to you directly from my notes. This word menea, here translated remember, is a word that denoted a written record used to record or memorialize a person's past actions. It often signified a statue, a monument, or some type of memorial that was intended to be permanent. It meant to remember, to recollect, to mention, to commemorate, or to memorialize. But this word remember is primarily the word for a sepulcher or a tomb. Well, what is a sepulcher? That's where memories are buried. And now Jesus was saying, it's time for you to remember. There are things in your past that you've forgotten. Wonderful memories that are now covered by the busyness of life. And just like you have to dig through a grave to get down to those memories, you need to dig through all the clutter of your life, all of your schedules, all your routines, dig through all of it and get back down to the beginning and remember what you used to be like. He says, remember from whence. The word whence is the Greek word pothen. The word pothen points back in time to a different place or a different time. Jesus is literally saying, I know you're sophisticated now. But wow, let's put everything on pause. Let's dig through the clutter of life. Let's dig through all these years and get back to the beginning from whence you have fallen back then, a different time, a different place. And really he's referring to Acts chapter 19 when the great revival came to Ephesus. Jesus is saying, remember those early years, what you were like when you came to Christ with such excitement. 
In fact, he continues to say, remember from whence thou art fallen. Now, the whole church world thought they were the greatest church, the biggest church, the most developed church. They were the model church. But Jesus always sees what no one else sees. And even though they were big and sophisticated and developed, the fact that they had lost their first love, Jesus says, means they were fallen. And the word fallen is the Greek word pipto. The word pipto describes a fall, a collapse, a downward plummet. It pictures a downward fall from a formerly high position. So they're no longer the great church they were in the eyes of Jesus. They may be great in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of Jesus, they've had a collapse. They've had a downward plummet. And in fact, the Greek word that is used and the tense describes a downward fall that is already complete. They're not in the process of falling. In Jesus' view, they are already completely fallen. And what does Jesus tell them to do? The verse says, repent. Now, here we come to the focus of my teaching today. The word repent. What does it mean to repent? Well, the word repent is a Greek word, metanoeo. It's a compound of two words. The word meta carries the idea of a change. The word noe is from the word nous, which is the Greek word for the mind. But when it becomes the word noeo, it means to think. When you put the two words together, it means to think with a change or to think differently. And I'm going to read to you directly from my notes. The word metanoeo, the Greek word repent, means to make a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. Let me say that again. To make a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. It is a decision to completely change or to entirely turn around in the way that one is thinking, believing, or living. It is a total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in a behavioral change. Notice that in that definition, there's not one word about tears or emotions. Everything in this word repent has to do with the word noeo from the word noose, which is the word mind. Repentance is a decision. That's why many times evangelistic ministries record decisions for Christ. They don't even talk about salvations or conversions. They talk about decisions because repentance is a decision to change both inside and outside. Now, when I was a child, I grew up in a wonderful church. It was a denominational church. But as a child, I was watching things all the time. And when I came to Christ, I just made a decision to come to Christ. For me, it was a decision. I didn't feel any emotion. I just knew I needed to come to Christ. Well, I was five years old. And when you're five years old, you don't feel a lot of sorrow for sin. I really couldn't think of much sin. I just knew I needed to give my life to Christ. So I made a decision. But as I grew up in the church, I was watching. And very often I would see adults come to the altar, weeping and crying. Wow, it was so emotional. And I remember sometimes watching, thinking, they're going to empty the whole box of Kleenex. They're crying so much. And sometimes they literally would. They would weep and weep and weep. And then they would stand in the altar and they would announce their decision that they were recommitting their life or they were getting saved. They would stand next to the pastors. He presented them to the church, weeping and crying. It was so emotional. And then they would walk out of the church and not come back. 
We wouldn't see them, maybe for another year, maybe for a couple years. And the next time they came back, guess what? When the invitation was given, here they would come to the altar, where again, they were given a Kleenex box, they would empty the whole box, crying, weeping and wailing and carrying on. And when they were finished, guess what? They would disappear and not come back to the church for a long time. And I remember being a little confused by that because their weeping and wailing and emotions, it just seemed so sincere and actually it made me feel condemned because when I got saved, I didn't cry. Again, I was five years old. I really didn't have anything to cry about. I just made a decision, a decision. These people were very emotional, but I came to understand they were not making a decision. In fact, most of them were not even repenting. They were just filled with remorse and regret. There's a difference between repentance and remorse. They are not the same thing. The word repentance, the Greek word metanoeo, it describes a mental decision that you're going to turn around. I'm going to read you again what the Greek word means. To make a change of mind that results in a complete, radical, total change of behavior. A decision, a decision to completely change or entirely turn around in the way that one is thinking, believing, or living. A total transformation affecting every part of a person's life, both inside and outside, resulting in a behavioral change. It is a decision. Well, hmm, then what were these other people doing? Because they certainly were not making decisions. They had a lot of tears, but they weren't changing. They were just using Kleenex and crying, walking out the door, not coming back. And then I came to understand they were not really repenting. They were just experiencing remorse. When we find the word remorse in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, where it is used to describe the behavior of Judas Iscariot after he betrayed Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. That's what the Bible says. It says he repented himself. And what did he do? The Bible says he went out and hanged himself. Well, when you really repent, you don't go out and hang yourself. So what was Judas doing? Well, this word repent that here is used in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, is not the word metanoeo. It's not the word repent. It is the Greek word metamelomai. It doesn't even sound the same. It's a bad translation. The word metamelomai describes sorrow, mourning, or grief. It means to be seized with guilt, to be filled with remorse or regret, to wallow in remorse. It depicts an emotion that produces no inward or outward change. And here is the confusion about repentance. People don't know what repentance is. They think repentance is a tear or it's feeling guilt or feeling badly. That has nothing to do with repentance. You don't even have to have emotion to repent. Repentance is a decision. Now, I've written a little book called Repentance, What It Is, What It Isn't, and How to Do It, and I want to give it to you. If you'll contact our ministry for a limited time only, we will send this to you, one per family. A lot of people are going to be requesting, so just one per family. This is a wonderful little book to explain to you repentance, what it is, what it isn't, and how to do it. But I want to read to you just a little bit about this word, metamelomai, which really is the word remorse. That's what most people experience. 
Listen to this. The word metamelamide depicts remorse that grips a person because of an act he committed that he knows is wrong. If we were willing to really repent, he could be forgiven and changed. But because he has no plans to repent or stop his sinful activities and try to rectify what he has done, he is therefore gripped with remorse. Consequently, this emotion produces no change in a person's life. This Greek word metomelomai can also express the guilt a person feels because he knows he has done something wrong and will continue to do wrong and has no plans to change. He feels shameful about what he's doing but continues to do it anyway, which results in an ongoing state of guilt. This guilt produces no change in a person's life or behavior. Yet genuine repentance would fix the feeling of guilt and remove it completely. This Greek word metamelomai, the word remorse, best denotes the regret a person feels because he's caught doing something wrong. He isn't repentant for committing the sin. Instead, he's sorrowful only because he got caught. Now he's in trouble. Rather than be repentant, this person is regretful that he got caught and now must pay the consequences. And chances are that if he had never been caught, he would have continued his activities. That's what the word metamelomite it means. And because this word is used to describe Judas Iscariot, it means Judas did not repent in the sense that he was sorry for what he did and wanted to make it right with God. Rather, Judas Iscariot was remorseful. He was seized with guilt and filled with regret because of his actions. He knew he had blown his opportunity to be a high-ranking member of Jesus' inner circle. Judas was more sorrowful for himself than he was for his participation in sin. Don't misunderstand me. Emotion and tears may accompany repentance, but they are not a requirement for repentance. They're just not a requirement. What is the requirement for repentance? Well, the word repent, the Greek word metanoeo, means to think different, to make a decision. And now Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, listen to these words. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. He doesn't say cry. He doesn't say weep. He doesn't say wail. He says, I'm calling on you to repent. The Greek word simply says, I'm calling on you to make a decision. Make a decision to repent, to turn around, to go back to what you used to be like and do the first works. Wow. John the Baptist told us in Matthew chapter three and verse eight, that when repentance takes place, it comes with fruit. It comes with outward results. So if a person has really repented, they do something. That's what it means. And that's what Jesus now says in this verse. He says, repent and do the first works. Then when you come to the end of the verse, he says, or else I'll come into thee quickly and will remove that candlestick out of his place. And then he says again, except thou repent. Repentance can save the day. Repentance can turn everything around. And this church, this wonderful church, which had let their first love slip away from them, if they would be willing to remember from whence they had fallen and repent, turn around and begin to do the same things they did in the beginning, they could be spared. Wow. Repentance is powerful when you really understand what it is. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment and I'm going to pray for you.
The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world with unsurpassed detail fascinating insights and historical context you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of scripture and how you should interpret it for today this beautifully bound 800 page full color biblical resource can be yours for 80 dollars features on location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the new testament come alive when you call or go online today you can also get christ's message to ephesus an in-depth 10-part teaching series that delves deep into the message Jesus gave to the Ephesian church. The church of Ephesus was a successful church on the outside, but they had drifted from their first love of Jesus. Available in digital or physical format starting at just $20. Rick uses this teaching series to remind you to return to your first love of Jesus. A light in darkness and Christ's message to Ephesus. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Friends, this is Rick Renner. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful, and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free, and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa, and I call this Phase 3. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for Phase 3, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. There is so much confusion in the body of Christ today about the word repent. Oh, this is so evil. Repentance is foundational to our lives. And if we're confused about repentance, we are in trouble. Maybe you've been confused about repentance. What does the word repent mean? That's why I wrote this little book called Repentance, What It Is, What It Isn't, and How to Do It. And I'll give it to you, just one per household, for a limited time only if you'll contact us right now. It's yours. It's our gift to you. I want you to understand what repentance is, what it isn't, and how to do it. And when you contact us, why don't you order my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus, a 10-part series based on these programs that comes with a marvelous study guide. Wow, this is powerful. You'll love it. Your friends will love it. Your Bible study group will love it. Order it now. And we're offering my big book called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages, to the seven churches. This book will take you back into the world of the first century Christian church. It will just illuminate the New Testament for you. But we're out of time. But before we leave, 
I want to pray for you. Maybe you need to make a decision to turn around. Maybe you need to make a decision to remember from whence you have fallen. Put everything on pause and compare yourself now to what you used to be like. And if you find that you've slipped, then it's time for you to repent, to make a decision to turn around. And Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to make those decisions. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to take us back and help us to do again the first works that we did when we first got saved and when we were first filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for this in Jesus' wonderful name. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. But God's word releases power in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program.